Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European Rate Specialist, and I'm joined today by our Global Market Specialists, Dan Nevruzzi and Theo Chapsalis. Before getting into today's discussion, I just wanted to quickly remind you to hit the subscribe button so you can listen to our latest episodes as soon as they're available. Well, from a European perspective, it's been a typical kind of mid-August week this week with not a lot going on, but there has been things going on elsewhere. So let's dive straight into the US because that was probably, um, from a markets perspective, one of the more interesting things to happen this week was that we got the minutes from um, the July meeting. Now, that was the meeting where um, we first kind of started to really talk about taper with with some seriousness so obviously that was the focus of the minutes and a whole section uh, was dedicated to that in the minutes um, but Jan perhaps you can just talk through what the kind of key takeaways were from our perspective on on that front yeah absolutely I mean obviously uh, going to the minutes the biggest expectation was if we're going to get any more information about the about the tapering process and uh we did get some, although it was left fairly vague. There was clear that there was discussion uh, across the committee. We did get a couple of uh, a key points that, uh, that are worth mentioning here. First, obviously, there was a large discussion, uh, like I mentioned, on asset purchases, uh, but uh, the, the debate was fairly wide ranging. There wasn't really uh, like a final consensus. On the timing of taper, uh, participants felt that a reduction in net asset purchases could be merited this year. Uh, various thinking that an announcement could be warranted in the coming months, several thinking, uh, suggesting that paper should not be uh, should not be done this year, but rather next year. So a lot of these kind of uh, vague uh, descriptive words, but we don't know who exactly said, well, we have a guess from uh, previous public appearances, but there is definitely a split in the committee, as was expected from markets too. Uh, but we do see this more or less consistent with our uh, base case for tapering, which we expect an announcement in, in November for actual uh, the, the reduction in purchase to start at the December meeting, uh, sorry, in December, a month afterwards. But uh, again, the language hardly suggests that there was uh, any consensus across committee members on the, on the timing of, uh, of the tapering process. Additionally, uh, on the modalities of the tapering, uh, i.e. the technicalities, how are they going to approach uh, redu the reduction, the, the speed, the composition of assets? I think there we got a little bit more of a clearer answer. Uh, there wasn't obviously a, a final decision, but we got a quote something along the lines of that members saw benefit in reducing treasuries and mortgage-backed securities proportionally, so they both end up at the same time, the, the, the purchases finish at the same time. This is also in line with our view. We expected a uh, 10 billion and 5 billion reduction in, uh, in treasuries and mortgage-backed securities respectively announced each each subsequent meeting, uh, given the, the 80 and 40 billion uh, purchase space currently uh, that the Fed is uh, absorbing from the market. So I, I think since we got a less of a debate there, and that seems like the path of least resistance for us, um, we think the markets kind of got like a little bit more of a clearer answer there. Uh, but all in all, the minutes did lean a little bit dovish than what uh, than what markets expected, I would say. If people went in looking for a September taper announcement, I think they got a little bit disappointed. And we did see that uh, in the market reaction right after. It was fairly muted, but treasuries did rally basically ending the day uh, pretty much unchanged. 
Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you about, because it seemed like a little bit of a confused market reaction. And so you think that's because perhaps a portion of the market was looking for an earlier taper, perhaps a a September announcement. and, And that seems off the cards now, do you think? Yeah, I think that was the case. I mean, I wouldn't say anything is off the cards, but it's certainly a much lower probability. It's definitely not our base case. Uh, one caveat again is that uh, community members did not have did not see the very strong job support that we got in July as the minutes cover period before that. So on balance, that could tilt the kind of the rhetoric into a little bit towards you know more towards the hawkish camp of the of the FOMC uh, members. But I don't think uh, the leadership of the Federal Reserve, so like like Chairman Powell and Co. They, they probably want to see a series of strong numbers rather than one blowout uh, jobs figure to kind of make a decisive uh, decisive uh, final decision. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess then the main question in the immediacy is, is really what this implies for Jack Hall. You know, that's going to be the big event of next week. Um, does this in your view, uh, kind of make, given that we don't think that September is the right timing for a, a taper at all, does this kind of take Jackson Hole out as a, a really interesting or important event from a, a taper perspective, really? It certainly will be uh, the one of the main things on markets radar next week. I wouldn't say it takes out Jackson Hole as an important event, but uh, the minutes that show us that uh, at this point, the FNC does not seem to have gotten close enough uh, at the July meeting for Chairman Powell to go out there and say that decision has been made. But again, like I said, there has been, like the jobs number was fairly strong, uh, was very strong actually. So uh, market participants could expect to see uh, maybe, or or at least uh, kind of preposition for more hawkish rhetoric as opposed to like a base case where Chairman Powell keeps it extremely neutral uh, and I imagine if he kept it extremely neutral, it could have been actually perceived similarly like the minutes, slightly dovish by the market. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, thanks, Dan. I'm, I'm sure we'll be picking up on Jackson Hole again next week because like you say, it feels like that's really the um, important event left now for the month before this kind of, well, before we move back into September and, and sort of back to school and back to work again. Um, so Theo, over to you because we also had some interesting data in the UK. We had... Uh, employment data and inflation data this week so you were very busy I'm sure Um, I guess on the employment front we still had relatively strong data on on that side but actually on the inflation side um, not as strong so which do you think kind of really matters more which is the one that markets are paying most attention to yeah thanks so much so indeed these are very very crucial uh, data points, data series, I would say, for the BOE. Um, the state of the labor market uh, is by many seen as, you know, a necessary requirement before a tightening is delivered. So we talk about tightening that will happen in the year 2022. The question, and this is what divides hawks and doves, is whether it will happen towards the second half of the year or the early half of the year. So indeed, the labor market is recovering uh, and the labor market uh, is, is, is looking better, uh, so no significant problem there. Um, in inflation, it's, it's interesting because when we look at CPI, CPI was indeed softer, whereas RPI came largely in line with expectations. It came around 10 basis points below where the market had that number implied. 10 basis points is not big, just to put things into context. 
we had 40 basis points of overshoot in both the April and the June number. So, I mean, 10 basis points is, 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 is nothing huge for this market. However, the composition of inflation is the one that matters. And RPI was strong because of only two components, housing and used car prices. Now, housing, we know that it has started to slow down. So we've seen that, um, you know, after June and the, 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 the July data, which actually will largely feed into RPI in August. So there is a delay. There is a one month of a delay. Uh, we know that these numbers have started to soften. We also get evidence that uh, house prices are close to a peak because the, the pattern, the behavior in the UK is similar to what we've seen in the US. Everything else has shown signals of uh, softening. You can take, for example, clothing. You can even take recreation. You can take, um, you know, holidays. So it's, it's 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 a good opportunity for all of us, you know, to book holidays. Still, the, the packages are fairly fairly cheap. So inflation came indeed on the softer uh, side because of the composition. So if we do take out those two parts that were very strong. Um, the rest was soft, which did support also uh, the dovish sentiment. So how did markets react to that then? I guess, well, I want to know about both nominals and linkers, but perhaps if you just start with nominals first and then we can move on to linkers. Yeah, I guess the market, uh, it, it, they, they look at the front of the curve and, and basically um, we've seen a reduction in some of the pay positions, which does make sense. I think the market um, still is not sure, still is fairly divided. And this is why if we take absolutely everything into context, we see that, you know, front end rates um, are actually, you know, nothing special, not, not too high, not too low. The point of the biggest theme is, is really that we see appetite of the market to be invested in fixed income. And this is what actually supports fixed income. And we've seen also some of the guys who tried to play, uh, you know, uh, curve trades and try to just be sure the market that this cannot pretty much last. I mean, as, as of today, and we're recording that on Thursday, you know, the, the, the market, the fixed income market uh, is rallying. And yesterday, the fixed income market was also strong at the front end, by the way. The back end was a bit softer. But all in all, it makes the market be a little bit more cautious. We talk about uh, we will have ahead of us weeks of uh, low net DVO ones. So those who want to be sure the conventional curve are definitely the cautious side. Those in, in terms of linkers, I think that um, they've started to put some of the bearish positions at the front of the curve. So we talk about, you know, um, some tactical guys looking at valuations and say, hey, maybe with price too much. So we've seen some downside pressure at the front of the RPA curve, but the theme of the risking still keeps. And this is why backend linkers have been very well supported. So we talk about a steeper RPA curve, pretty much driven from both sides. You just mentioned then um, about the next few weeks of being kind of low net DVO on, because there's also a um, coupon event is that right? At the beginning of the first week of September, I think. So I guess that kind of adds to the pressure even further. Is, is this being priced in already by markets or um, not yet, do you think? I guess the coupon event is something that actually does keep the curve particularly flat. Uh, yes, we talk about 2 billion of free floating gills that will be reinvested. 
Uh, I think as things stand, we cannot say that this is in the price. Um, however, what we can say is that those who want to put steepeners are very, very hesitant. So we've got a curve which definitely looks flat by all means, but also uh, very few investors want really to fade it. Uh, we do think that fading or going on steepeners, we talk about backend steepeners like 1030s, for example, that this would be premature because some support can come from the coupon money. And the other point to bear in mind is that, yes, we do talk about, and, and green gifts will be a massive topic, and, and we will know more in the coming weeks. But if the Green Guild is a 10-year bond and not a 20-year bond, then we may not get that much DV1 in September because a lot of investors expect that huge DV1 to come back in September and send yields higher. But what happens if the bond is a shorter bond? And this is why we definitely are on the cautious side, i.e. we do want to avoid back-end steepness right now. So this is really, from my side, this is um, you know uh, on the UK side, and usually we've got Giles around, so uh, we grill him, and then uh, this is why we, we among us, we call it as a grill Giles or ask Giles session. But, uh, well, you are on the Euro side. Uh, you've done some very interesting work in the Euro area. So I would like to ask you, what's going on there? What are the main views? What are the trades? What are the opportunities that we like? Yeah, sorry, no jars this week, but hopefully I'm a good enough replacement. Um, I mean, as I said at the beginning of the call, it has been particularly quiet couple of weeks in Europe. We really haven't had anything on the data um, data calendar that, that's kind of been driving markets and, and they have really been led by other markets, I guess, mostly the US. Um, so we've started to look ahead now for September and kind of think about the events there. And actually, one of the things I wanted to talk about this week, because I don't think we've really mentioned it that much on this podcast, actually, um, is the German elections, because obviously, they're happening at the end of the month in September. And um, it's something that given the shift that will be happening, you know, it's at the end of Merkel's term, I think could be quite important. Um, polls have been shifting a lot over the past couple of weeks. So it's kind of been brought to market's attention a little bit more and we're starting to get a few more questions. So, um, you know, SPD has been rising in the polls um, and the CDU, the kind of current uh, senior partner in the coalition, Merkel's party uh, and the Greens who had been the front runners have, have been losing ground. Um, but it actually hasn't changed our base case. We still think that um, CDU and, and uh, CSU and the Greens will be able to form a coalition. They, they may not have um, sufficient votes to do that alone and, and may well require uh, kind of third party support, in which case we'd get um, what you call a, a Jamaica coalition, so with the support of FDP. Um, uh, but it is still our base case that that the Greens will be in government. And I think that from a markets perspective, that's a really kind of important innovation in that we've already had this shift in Germany over the past year towards a more kind of uh, fiscal leeway. Uh, and this government or this election rather should really just cement that shift. Um, and obviously the, the kind of real serious risk to markets of of uh you know the outcomes of, of german elections the afd could potentially 
have any sort of power is is minuscule really in the outcome of these elections you know they've been trend not trending up at all in the polls they've they've had no upward pressure there's no other party would choose to govern with them so um it's really a a, a non-risk heading into this i think if anything the risks may well be skewed towards kind of more fiscal policy and and more uh, integration on the european side than than less um from these elections so this is good. Uh, I think this is definitely very exciting on the political side. Now I'm thinking, I mean, politics in the euro area have always had a big impact with regards to uh, yields and spreads, especially Germany, Italy spreads. Now, I don't know. I mean, usually it's, it's, it's the South European politics that matter, uh, but could potentially also the German politics matter for spreads? Or do you think that this is um, a non-event? Um, not a non-event, but I don't expect it to be hugely market moving. You know, our base case of um, a kind of black-green coalition, if you like, of CDU, CSU, I think is fairly market neutral, to be honest. So I wouldn't be looking for huge moves either on Bund yields or on uh, BTP Bund spreads, maybe just one or two basis points higher in Bund yields and uh, perhaps the same lower in in BTP spread. So um, it's not going to be, unfortunately, (laughs) not going to be hugely exciting. I think the biggest kind of risk scenario in terms of what where we might see the biggest move is if um, the Greens were to want or choose to govern without the CDU um, and the kind of potential coalitions that could be formed out of that realistically um, the the only sort of um, feasible option would be a left alliance so Greens, SPD uh, and the left party Um, that might see a slightly higher uh, move in Bund yields just given that they'd be you know considered to be more fiscally expansive than our kind of base case um, and a slightly uh, bigger move tighter in BTP Bund spreads given that again they'd be a kind of more forceful drive towards further integration in the euro area and and completing the banking union and and more kind of common fiscal policy etc so but even in that scenario we're only talking about maybe I don't know, four or five basis points higher in Bund yields and again, a similar outcome tighter in BTP Bund spread. So it's nothing, unfortunately, that I think is going to rock the boat too much. But I guess it's um, still something, uh, at least an uh, event to look forward to. And particularly this year where we feel like, I guess, we've been a little bit starved of, of political events in the euro area. OK, thank you very much. Great. Well, I guess that's all from us this week, Dan. Um, but we'll definitely check back in next week because, like I said, John, we've got Jackson Hole uh, and a lot more exciting things to talk about. But uh, just to say thank you, everyone, for um, listening. And if you liked today's episode, then please hit the like button to show your appreciation and click subscribe so you can our latest episodes as soon as they're available Uh, and another reminder for me to just send in any questions that you may have I know Theo said we like to grill Giles and do ask Giles but you can send them in for anyone (laughs) and I will pitch them to them so please send them either directly to us or um, to our mailbox at bondcast at natwest.com thanks all see you next week